This week, President Trump, for the first time in his administration, asserted executive privilege, a power that allows the president to block certain information from the public. So why did he invoke this broad power? Here's how we got here. As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, over the past few weeks since the end of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, Congress and the White House have been engaged in an escalating conflict. That conflict accelerated even more this week. House Democrats have been demanding an unredacted version of the Mueller report and its underlying documents and evidence. Attorney General William Barr has refused to turn over those materials. The White House, meanwhile, wants all investigations into President Trump to be over. And so, just hours before the House Judiciary Committee was expected to vote to hold Attorney General Barr in contempt of Congress for his refusal to provide said materials, President Trump asserted executive privilege over the entire Mueller report. Now, this week's fight hinges on disagreements over how legal precedent applies to these Mueller report documents. But the bigger picture here is a battle between a Congress that wants the public to have more information about the president and a president who wants to protect that information. This is Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Today, we're looking at Trump's assertion of executive privilege over a report Congress has largely already seen, how that executive privilege power works, and what this escalation of a fight between branches of government means for our democracy. Executive privilege is a time-worn and well-respected umbrella, essentially, for protecting the president's especially confidential discussions with senior aides, the president should be allowed to basically deliberate with his White House lawyer, his chief of staff, and other really senior people in private so that those discussions can be free-flowing and frank. That's Carol Lennig, a national investigative reporter for The Washington Post, who's been covering these developments closely. I asked her how common it is for presidents to use executive privilege at all. So the formal assertion of executive privilege is very rare. Usually there's a lot of fighting and clawing and negotiating and posturing and chest puffing before there's an assertion of privilege. Congress is usually seeking something and the White House is usually denying what it is that Congress is seeking. But a formal assertion is pretty rare. The last time that this assertion was made in this formal way that it it was the other day with President Trump was when President Obama asserted executive privilege over a series of documents and discussions involving a Justice Department gun program. Okay, so it's not unheard of. It is something that presidents use to protect their private conversations. Absolutely. I mean, Presidents Clinton, Bush, and Obama have all asserted it. Again, not every day. Once a term is a more typical road. Okay. And for now, this is the first time that the Trump administration has asserted this executive privilege. Yes. Although it was funny the other day when I asked a senior official in the White House, you know, I just want to be sure this is the first time. And they said, yeah, I I think it is. Um, (laughs) They were they were actually trying to be sure themselves. But Mm -hmm. but they asserted that it was the first time. Well, then let's talk about this particular case. What does this assertion of executive privilege over the entire Mueller report? What does that include? 
So what's interesting, actually, Allison, about this assertion is it's kind of like a half-step assertion. They're formally having the president with the backing, the legal backing of the attorney general who says, I concur. They're having the president say, for now, I want to assert this privilege protectively, almost prophylactically, to be sure that I have a chance to review all the records in the Mueller report and all the underlying documents that haven't been made public. You know, as we know, 100 different interviews are cited in the Mueller report, but the the team actually interviewed 500 people. So there's a decent amount of documents, if you will, underneath the surface of the water on this iceberg. And the president and his lawyers are essentially saying, we need a little time to determine which of any and potentially many of these things are privileged and sensitive and confidential. So if Trump and his lawyers need more time to go through this information, like they're claiming, and decide what's important and what needs to be protected and what's sensitive, do they then need to provide legal reasoning for why they made those decisions? It's a it's a pretty broad claim that he has to make about why it's sensitive. Mm-hmm. It, it, it most likely could be anything from ongoing investigations and the potential to endanger them. It could also be about what I think will be the bulk of it and that is confidential conversations between the president and senior aides that he relies upon to make decisions, and he relies on their frankness. Now, at this point, who's seen those 500-plus interview documents? Who's seen this underlying evidence? So it has to be true that someone in the Justice Department has reviewed this material because Attorney General Barr said that they had, not him him personally, as he answered Kamala Harris recently in testimony. But it has to be true that someone in the Justice Department has had a flick at all of the material because they had to review it to determine what to um, make public. So if somebody on a prosecutor's team has already seen these private conversations, does that negate the argument that executive privilege applies if somebody else has already seen these private conversations? So I spoke with a lot of legal experts about this who had actually done this kind of work for Republican and Democratic presidents. And what I found interesting was they do believe that this move is ultimately part of a larger stall by the White House. Let's put off as long as possible handing over anything. But legally... Even Clinton administration officials told me they feel that they're on decent ground because you want to do a careful review. You don't want a quickie, quickie review. You want a careful review. The ball is now in the White House and the Department of Justice's court. They've got to quickly conduct that review if they're going to look like they're in good faith and then make a decision about executive privilege. We'll see if they do that in quick order. I interviewed Walter Dellinger for my story with my colleagues, Matt Zapatowski and Rachel Bade. And Walter was the Solicitor General for President Clinton and worked in the Justice Department for Janet Reno, the Attorney General, when they made this exact same assertion, uh, a protective assertion. We need to review the documents that you're seeking, Congress, before we just hand it over. And he said, look, this group is on good ground for now, but he doesn't believe they'll ultimately win the case if they try to deny the public a large portion of this material. Now, at this point, Congress has seen most of the Mueller report. And so why are they pushing so hard to get this redacted material and this underlying evidence? Such a good question. And really, isn't it politics on both sides? The White House and the president are saying, we're not giving you any ammunition to shoot at us. And the Democrats want to basically 
re-air the Mueller report on live television. They want to take the most damaging and worrisome things in this report, maybe some new ones, maybe some old ones, and put them on TV so that readers of a report aren't the only people that know the very worrisome things that Robert Mueller found. And on the politics point, some of this is bubbling over given Barr's refusal to testify in front of the House Judiciary Committee. How does that factor into the House Judiciary Committee's decision to move forward with pushing for some of this information? So it all goes to trust and good faith. You know, the if, if you gave truth serum to uh, the leaders of House Judiciary and you gave truth serum to bar, here's what they would say. The attorney general would say, I don't trust those guys. And judiciary chair would say, I don't trust anything Barr says. And that's really where we are. In regards to people testifying in Congress, as Barr has refused to, to testify to the House Judiciary Committee, Robert Mueller himself might testify next week. Does this executive privilege claim change what Mueller might be able to say? It depends. I mean, it, it depends on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. On your issue about the substance, what Mueller can discuss, Mueller's a by-the-book prosecutor. He's not going to go outside the four corners of what he feels he can discuss. And if there is a dispute about what's privileged, I can imagine him leaning heavily towards staying away from that dispute. Let's just talk through what the White House is saying about this and then what Jerry Nadler, the House Judiciary Chairman, has said in response and and how that's played out. So White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders has said that the White House had no choice here but to invoke executive privilege because House Democrats were acting unlawfully and that William Barr has been transparent throughout the entire Mueller report. Does that statement align with your reporting of recent events? I I see why Sarah is trumpeting that because it, it picks up and echoes a line of the attorney generals, which is, look, you're forcing our hand by holding a contempt vote, which is what Nadler did. You're trying to find the attorney general in contempt, and you're forcing us to say, before you do that, before you try to ding him reputationally and in history, you're forcing us to say, okay, we assert the privilege then, to, to nullify essentially that contempt citation. Can you explain more about how that works? So exerting executive privilege nullifies that contempt citation? It doesn't entirely rule it out. But you're essentially, if you're the White House and the Justice Department, which were, are working in lockstep, clearly, you are saying you haven't given us time to re- review the materials. And you're already rushing to call the game. Like, let us play the game before you call it. Mm-hmm. And in a court of law... I think it will be hard for a judge to side with Nadler on this one because all the White House is doing is saying we need appropriate accommodation to review the records and not do something stupid. And you've already rushed to find the attorney general in contempt. So that's really where Sarah's comment is coming from. You gave us no choice. It's not entirely true because the White House could have said, "Okay, good, come for our attorney general. But this was to protect him and to also make a pretty good legal point that we need more time. There's nothing wrong with more time. And when we talk about more time, how much time are they expected to be given? I think that's the $64,000 question, because if the White House takes, you know, months reviewing these records, everybody will be 
properly saying that's not good faith. Mm -hmm. And if the White House and the Justice Department review this and come back within a few weeks, then you start to think, okay, they're negotiating in good faith. They're actually trying to comply. And from House Judiciary Chairman Nadler's perspective, he suggested that this executive privilege assertion represents an effort from the Trump administration to to hide the truth from the American people. What is he basing that on? It goes back to that issue of trust. Mm -hmm. Nadler is identifying, as many legal experts told me, this as part of a larger ploy. The president doesn't want anybody getting up on national television and saying, this is the worrisome thing I saw the president do. This is what the president told me about shutting down the Russia investigation. These are the notes I took when Don McGahn came into my office sweating and saying, oh my gosh, I'm really worried that the president looks like he's obstructing justice. The president doesn't want that on television. And his White House counsel is properly finding a legal way to not provide that right now. Nadler is is making a pretty um, bombastic claim that's born a bit in reality in that the longer that it takes for this information to come out and for these witnesses to testify, the more sting you kind of take out of the people talking about the Mueller report. The Mueller report will feel very stale in a couple of months. The Mueller report will no longer have the same kind of pow. You're getting more and more distance from the event. And uh, Nadler feels uh, that he can say, hey, you're trying to deny the, the American public. What he's really probably worried about is you're going to put the American public to sleep before we get this info. Right. So you have the White House on one side, you have House Democrats on the other. Nadler has gone so far to say, and as did Nancy Pelosi as well, that we are now in a constitutional crisis. So it does seem like this escalating battle between Congress and the White House could be characterized as a constitutional crisis, given that you have two branches of government fighting over the Constitution, right? But is that true? Are we in a constitutional crisis? What is the scenario look like right now? So I I have to say, I did not wake up this morning going, woo, constitutional crisis. <laughs> um, I do believe after talking to Republicans and Democrats, meaning lawyers who worked for those presidents, that the president and the White House counsel's claim of privilege and their claim of we don't really have to participate in this nutsy oversight game you're playing is unusually broad. And and I can see how that is chilling to Democrats. The Obama administration fought like hell about turning over records to the Oversight and Government Reform Committee. In this instance, the Trump team is just making a much broader uh, assertion, not just in the privilege claim, but overall, the president saying, Mueller doesn't have to testify. I don't want to see him again. McGahn shouldn't get up there. He's already, I've already provided him for 30 hours, as the president said. Uh, You know, these records in the Mueller report, which we released, by the way, and I didn't fight about, you're not going to get to see the rest of it. There's no reason for you to see the rest of it. That writ large is a, a very broad claim that Congress, you know, pound sand. You don't have a right to the oversight that's articulated very clearly in the Constitution. And I think that is what Pelosi is really referring to, that broader uh, what appears to be a strategy to um, stop 
the dog nipping at their heels. So where do you see this all heading? Is this going to end up eventually in the court system? I do. Um, I don't see how this doesn't end in the courts. And in fact, smartly, the White House seems to be making steps to delay the reckoning in court, delay the moment that you will be in court. Again, because Nadler has a very small chance of winning his case while the president and his lawyers are saying, we just need some time. We just need some time. Um, I, we need to do this right. So I don't, uh, but one day we'll get there. Okay. So it seems that we've answered our can he do that question of the week, but I will ask it here. Can the president exert executive privilege over the entirety of the Mueller report? And can he do it now for these certain parts that haven't yet been released to Congress? He absolutely can at this juncture. Uh, every expert I've talked to says he can. The question is whether it's um, a good faith strategy to determine what's confidential and concerning for a president to share or whether it's really a stall tactic to avoid ever turning over the things that are not really privileged. All right, Carol, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? As always, send us a note to tell us what you liked, what you don't like, what you want to see us do in future episodes. And keep listening wherever you listen to podcasts. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the dashing Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.